Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. I am so excited to say that today we are joined by Jennifer Walsh. She's a consultant and the founder of The Jennifer Walsh, which I hope that she'll <laughs> tell us what the means. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to have you here, um, especially because I want our listeners to know that um, you and I just met. We haven't known each other more than, I think, two weeks. <laughs> I know. It's um, crazy. It feels like a long time. To be able to um, have these opportunities to meet new people and this like business keeps evolving. And, you know, there's so many people I haven't met. There's people that I know. And I just love this sense of like, I just met somebody that I could sit and talk to for hours. I and that, that is too. just so cool. It is, isn't it? Um, it's kind of rare, but I think when you meet someone who's an entrepreneur and you're an entrepreneur and someone who's so open and honest and willing to talk real, really, um, yes. it just makes for, you know, it makes me feel better, like about like my, my situation and whatever's in my head that day to be able to talk to someone who's been in that space. You're so right. It's all about the journey. And I think it's so important that as we grow in our journey, that it's important to share our stories and our paths, because sometimes it can be really hard as an entrepreneur to keep going and keep driving yourself to go forward. And without hearing other people say, oh, yeah, I've been through that. <laughs> it's really hard. It's not just me. It's, it's nice to hear that you're not the only one going through hard, hard times. Yeah. And, you know, um, after meeting you, like, seriously, my day felt like I w it was shining. I think it might have even been raining that day. But, like, I felt this sense of sunshine. You have such an incredible energy and your spirit. And um, it, it was just so rejuvenating talking with you. Um, is that so weird to say? <laughs> no, I felt like I think I wrote to you the same thing because I just thought, like, when people are really passionate about what they do and they really love what they do and – um, you know, they carry that kindness within them to say, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm so glad to meet you. I feel like you're like a power sister of wealth of information and knowledge and goodness. And it kind of just exudes out of you. So, you, you know, I always feel like you attract what you put out there and you definitely have that uh, around you. That's why I was so attracted about your business and finding out more about you and what you did and just think it's all really incredible. Well, even though I just met you two weeks ago, I had um, known of you thanks to um, your launching of a brand called Pride and Glory. That was a few years ago. Um, yes. And I remember thinking when I saw this on social, I'm like, oh, my God, this is genius. Like, totally, totally <laughs> genius. Uh, can we talk about that? Can you tell me a little bit yeah. about what that brand was and why? Sure. Um, Pride and Glory came out of an idea to create branded products around the collegiate market. So it'd be like bath and body care for University of Florida and FSU and those kind of like SEC schools I was starting with. And it was, it was really hard to do for lots of different reasons because I didn't get a massive amount of funding to support it. I, I mostly was, um, I started it on my own and it was a lot of work and it was, you know, going to the labs, creating products for eight schools and I actually created 40 products at launch. And I think that was, as I can look back and say, oh, maybe that was a little bit too much. <laughs> it was, I should have scaled back to do one school to do a test or case study, um, but I didn't. And it was, it was really hard, but it was one of the most incredible experiences because I got to work with 
um, the collegiate licensing company and learn what it was like to license products and create products for licensing purposes and what that means in terms of, you know, making money and also um, working with the colleges and find out, okay, you have to pay royalty fees. And it was really interesting. But at the same time, I got to work with these schools and speak on college campuses about business and how do you grow a business and how do you uh, continue to grow and launch. And since that was my second business I created, it was kind of new but different at the same time because I'd never created my own products before. I had a chain of stores and a website, but never my own branded products. So it was a very new experience, that's for sure. Well, I just thought it was so genius because, um, you know, college was a long time ago for me um, at this point. But, <laughs> yeah, me both. Um, <laughs> you know, like there were there was a vo- there there still is I'm sure since you started the line a void and like wouldn't I want Lafayette College mm-hmm. pump soap wouldn't I want Lafayette College sour gel like this is such an easy get for people right there's like probably very few obstacles to buy um, and it's just so smart so clever thank you thanks it was um it was in that kind of sense like very easy like oh yeah why wouldn't I get that but at the same time it was also very challenging for me to even get the doors open for stores to want to carry it. So not only did I have to make the products and market the products and do anything like that by myself, but I was also having to be the person to call the stores and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I would love to talk to you about possibly carrying my brand in your stores. So it was really interesting for me to go from being a store owner for 12 years, you know, I own brick-and-mortar stores, all of a sudden having the shoe on the other foot to say, okay, now I have this collegiate-branded product and I was talking to everything from, you know, bookstores, college bookstores to local boutiques in Alabama and South Carolina. And it was just, uh, it was really, really interesting because I kept saying, oh, we really don't do that. And I said, I know because it hasn't <laughs> been done yet. So let's just do that. And it was, it was hard. It was, um, it was hard, but it was fun. Again, like I really got to meet some really interesting people and learn how these colleges worked. And I got to meet so many great small businesses and all these different markets. And it was really, really fascinating. And I learned a ton. So cool. So I want to dive into this um, beauty retailer that you spoke about. But be- before that, can you tell me why beauty? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I... My mom was a makeup artist when I was growing up, but I was never really into beauty as a kid. I was much more of a tomboy and would go to all the sporting events with my dad and liked baseball and football and all that stuff and really didn't get into makeup until my 20s. And I started doing makeup artistry on the side as my, like my side job when I was in my 20s and I was working in finance at Merrill Lynch and I started doing you know, calling everyone saying, hey, can I just come in and help? You know, I wasn't looking to get paid. I was just wanting to learn what the ropes were like of makeup artistry and what people did, you know, in movies and TV production and magazine shoots and all that. And this is, you know, I was literally 22, 23 years old. And I really, really fell in love with it, but knew I had to continue to work a regular job so I could keep building this book of work or portfolio of work, I should say like, okay, I worked on the set of this movie and I worked on the set of this. And it was, um, I just kind of fell in love. I really fell in love with the artistry of it. I fell in love with beauty. I fell in love with skincare and cosmetics and learning as much as I could possibly absorb. And this was literally 24 years ago, probably 24, 25 years ago. 
So it was a long so time you ago. Were, you had your full-time job, and then after work, you'd go on set somewhere? Is that yes. what you were doing? I would go anywhere. They could. We would have me if they were filming things overnight or if they were doing things on the weekend. I would just insert myself to clean the floors. I didn't care what they, <laughs> they asked me to do. I would just do it to be present and to kind of see what it was like to work on set anywhere. So whether I was mopping floors or holding the makeup palette for the makeup artist or whatever they needed me to do as a gopher or runner or whatever they needed me for, I would just call these people and say, hey, listen, I will do this for free. Do you want me for the weekend? And they're like, yeah, of course we do. <laughs> so come on over. And what's funny is that you, was so long that's ago. That's so cool. Do you think people would be receptive today if you were 20-something today making those phone calls? Do you think the game is still the same? Um, I think the expectation is different. So I feel like a lot, I don't know why that is, but I feel like a lot of people really are expecting to get paid to learn. Um, and for me, I don't know, I don't know if that's for everyone, but I'm, I'm sensing that a lot of people do feel like, well, I need to get paid, but I understand that. Um, but I was already working, you know, I was working a full-time job. So I kind of knew that I couldn't be an expert without some kind of, I couldn't understand the business unless I really got into it. And I knew I wanted to learn more about it. And the best way to do that without losing my job was to keep my job and then just continue to do other things on the side to learn this craft that I might or might not like if I actually started working in it because I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. why leave my good paying job for something I really loved as a idea, but I didn't know if I would really like it in uh, in the moment because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I think I think I really want to do this. But you really don't know until you start working in it. So I think that's important to do, like keep your full-time job, keep your job that you have that's going to be paying your bills, but then also find out what you love to do and see if you can insert yourself somehow and do it for free and see if that's something you like. Because sometimes when you do get into it, you find out you really don't like it. Then you think, oh, no, this this is not going to cut it. This is not for me. So I think it's really important to try and find out what you really love and don't lose your, your day job while you're doing it. I love that ambition. Um, I don't know if in my 20s I had that kind of ambition. I think I was just like, okay, you're going to give me a job. We'll take the job. <laughs> like, I don't think that I had a, a lot of other things on my mind, except like, you know, my socializing at night. And um, of course, you know, I, I just love this sense of like commitment and um, drive and the willingness to probably for some people to say no to you, I would guess that, you know, not everyone said yes. Oh, oh, absolutely. A lot of people said, no, we don't need you. And no, that's okay. But what's funny is a lot of people that I did work for, for free are still my friends to this day. And they're still movie directors oh, cool. and film producers and magazine editors um, from all over the place. So they're still, I can still count on them as friends and we can talk all the time. And it's really fun to see those kind of relationships evolve over the years for sure. Isn't that the key to networks? Like you can't force them to happen. They just sort of happen on their own. Um, Oh my God, that's true. Yes, absolutely. It's not something that I knew about. I really, really, really thought like for real that if I didn't go to college with Jane Lauder, then it was just not going to happen. Like I didn't, you know, I, you know, I didn't grow up on the Upper East Side going to school with so-and-so. So it just wasn't going to happen. I just had this perception that I'm an outsider. And if I'm an outsider, I'll always be an outsider. And the reality is, is like networks just take time to develop and grow and um, you never know where they're going to take you. You just have to give it time. Um, I'm so cool glad that you, you learned that. that. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad you actually brought that up because that has been 
such a side part of me as being an outsider in this industry. I have felt like an outsider because I didn't take the path that so many have in beauty where many girls grew up in New York City and then, or they come here as they're 22, 23 years old to become an editor or to be working for Estee Lauder or the LVMHs. And I was totally not that person. And I lived in New York. I grew up here, but then I left and I went to school in North Carolina, came back for a minute and then left again. And that's when I grew my business in Florida. So I was really out of that whole circle of young women that grow up in this business here in New York City. And I did not take that path. So I felt like, oh, here I am, this outsider in beauty that came back to New York as like a 38, 39-year-old woman after she sold her first business. And I was always felt like an outsider, but it was all about my relationships with the brands and the people and making sure those are always top, you know, top priority and most important to me are my, always my relationships and your integrity of how you hold yourself in business. That was always the most important part to me. You know, th- this idea of outsider status, I mean, it, for me, it breeds self-doubt, right? This, I would say mm-hmm. like my disease is self-doubt, I think. Um, and it it really doesn't go away. It, it gets minimized. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think what happens is, you know, I go to industry events and there's just hordes, like so many people who work at the strategics, right? At Lauder, sure. L'Oreal, or at Cody, or, you know, um, even maybe the P and G people, whatever. And they, yeah. there's many of them, right? These are giant corporations with like thousands and thousands of employees. So it, 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 mm-hmm. it looks like a herd, right? It feels that way to yeah. me. And I am the one like that, that's standing by myself. And it's always, you know, it's always <laughs> you and me both. In that way. You and me both. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm 41 years old now and I still go to these events and I literally have to like take a deep breath and be like, this is fine for the next hour and a half. I'm going to socialize with people I don't know. And there's going to be clusters of groups of people that I will not get to connect with because they're stuck in their clusters and groups. And there'll be people standing by themselves that I will get to connect with and I'll probably meet some interesting people. So I guess that's you and I next time we're standing, yes. standing by yes. ourselves. And the, totally, <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I would have probably been in a different mindset when I was 30 or 35 or whatever. But I feel like... I can walk into a room and I can walk the walk and talk the talk and I have the background and experience to say, okay, I feel like I really have enjoyed my career thus far and I've done some really incredible things and I've met so many great people and I will always think of myself as the outsider, (laughs) even though I've had this crazy 20-year career in the business and I've, you know, I just feel so lucky to have been doing everything I've done. But at the same time, I look just like you, I'll walk into a room and I will not know more than half of the people there just because I did not did not grow up on the Upper East Side. I grew up in the Bronx, and I did not go to the schools that many of the people did, and I did not have the career at, like you said, Estee or anything else like that. So I worked with the brands, but on the you know on the outside. So it was just a different different path for me. And for yeah, you, you know. I mean, I um, what's cool about it now for me and sort of grounds me is that. Uh, more than half of our clients are what you would consider mm-hmm. outsiders, like people who um, never worked in, you know, one of these brands. Uh, many of them never worked in beauty at all, and they just decided this is something meaningful to them, and they're going to start this business. And mm-hmm. I think that's why one of the reasons why we have one of the reasons why we have a lot of clients who are outsiders is because I I get it, right? Like I understand that yeah. that feeling, that mentality, and um, 
the drive and what it what it really takes to break through, right? To say like, mm-hmm. okay, that's the way it's working for some people, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it this way. Um, and then these people, they write their own rules because they don't even know what the rules are to begin with. <laughs> you know? That's so true. You're better off not knowing and just by the naivety is bliss. And that's how I felt most of my career was. I just didn't even, I didn't know. I just did it. And that's, that's how you experience how to do it when you don't have anyone else really to look up to or work with really in that kind of capacity. You're like, I'm just going to try it and see, see if it works and go from there. And sometimes what you got to well, do. On this theme, um, that leads me to want to ask you some questions about um, something that I think is incredible. Um, you started and sold an ahead-of-its-time beauty specialty store called Beauty Bar. And I believe that, was it sold in 1998 or did you start it in 1998? I founded it in 1998. So I started it then and I sold it in 2010. So this is, I, I consider ahead of its time because it seems like the industry took a lot more, maybe another decade to realize the power of localized beauty specialty, um, yes. where it's very highly curated and a brand, a, a retailer with personality, right? That takes it on a life of a brand. Um, can mm-hmm. you share with us a little bit about the experience of starting and running and selling a business? Sure. It was, um, you know, and also starting Beauty Bar, I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to become. I didn't intend to change the landscape of beauty, like that kind of thing. It was more of, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to be able to take care of myself for the rest of my life. I don't want to, I just want to have my own company so I can take care of myself. Really, that was the whole idea of starting my own company. Um, and I just thought it was going to be like a little shop and that's it. And I'm just going to have this really cute little store and I'm going to educate people on beauty. And I didn't really think of the grand scheme of what it could become. Cause again, naivety is bliss. I didn't, I went to school for business, but I didn't know anything about retail. So how it started was I had this TV beauty segment that was thrown into my lap in 1997. And I was talking about products that people had never heard of. They're like, why is Bobby Brown, the rap star making makeup? And I had to tell them <laughs> that I was actually a makeup artist and why are you talking about Lush? There's nowhere to find it, even though they, they were sold in London. I used to show like the newspaper and some of their bath bombs and just like talking to these brands that no one had ever heard of before. Um, but it was a really great educational tool for me. And then people started saying, well, why are you talking about it if you really cannot buy it anywhere? So that then parlayed my discussions with, you know, Christina Carlino, who owned and started Philosophy. I'm like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the store where I can sell the products that I'm educating people on TV with. Why don't I sell your products in my store because I'm already talking about your products on TV and now I can have a place for them to buy it. And so that's kind of how it all started because there was nowhere else for them to go. There was no Sephora. There was no Ulta. There was no other store like it yet. So I just remember grabbing my $30,000 that I had in savings, uh, which I had mutual funds because of my work in the financial industry at Merrill Lynch. And I said, you know, I'm going to open a store. What do I have to lose? And when I say, you know, you bootstrap, that's so that's funny. All what I had to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So like some people say like, we have everything to lose. <laughs> exactly. I was 27, 28 years old or whatever. And I had 30 grand in savings. That's my life. That's all I had. And I had this like little tiny apartment in Florida that I was our beach, like beach condo or beach house that I was living in. And I wound up taking furniture out of my house and putting it into my 600 square foot store. And 
here I was, people, you know, there were some days I was making, I would sell maybe $25 worth of product in the very beginning mm-hmm. because people are like, why are you selling, you know, soap that's $10? Why is it $10? And I have to educate them that it's triple milled from France called L'Occitan and this is what it is. And so it was, it was really challenging. The first two years were hard because, again, it was people just didn't even know what I was. They couldn't even figure out why are you selling right. You know, why are you selling products in a store? People are not going to leave a department store. They're not going to leave Clinique and um, Chanel to come to a store and, and buy these no-name brands. People didn't know what Lush, I mean, uh, Fresh or Kiehl's and La Mer were, except seeing them in the magazines. So it took, it took some time to really get people to come in and understand that I'm selling unique products and they're niche, niche brands and this is what they are. And, so I kind of treated people like they were coming into my home and sometimes they didn't want to leave for like hours at a time. So it was, it was a really wonderful experience for me to really become integrated into a community in such a way that I had been to so many weddings and funerals and baptisms and graduation parties. And it was really a beautiful experience for me. And I had a great staff that I'd hired over the years and I had a few locations of my stores and the website started next, which was like 1999. And again, this is before any brands were being sold online. So it was a way to integrate my TV, my TV segment. I was then doing once a week with my store, with the website. And it, it blew up into a way that, you know, people weren't even giving out their email addresses back in 1999, 2000, because at the time right. it, said it was too dangerous. <laughs> too dangerous Why to get an email. Right? You yes, had to spend exactly. months planning for Y2K. <laughs> Only Y2K. Oh my gosh, it was the end of the world. We're really dating ourselves here. Anyone who's like, I know. in college listening to this, they're going <laughs> to have no idea what we're talking Y2K. about. That's right. That's well, right. Um, I'm sure we could speak for hours about what it um, took to start Beauty Bar and grow it and then sell it, which is, of course, like, the new beauty entrepreneur's goal, right, is to many of them want to launch a brand and ultimately sell it and cash out. Mm -hmm. But um, I'd like to segue into the stuff that you're going to be working on soon and launching soon. So um, before we do that, I'd like you to just share a little bit with our listeners about, um, I guess, the the personal toll of being an entrepreneur and running a brand and um, working and being seduced by growth and um, what kind of impact did it have on you physically emotionally, spiritually. Yeah, that's really that's a really great segue and a really great point because I think so many people are so seduced by the word entrepreneur anymore that everyone just decides you're going to be an entrepreneur without actually really even understanding what it means to build the business and what that takes uh, a toll on yourself, your family, your health. And, um, you know, when I started my first company, I didn't know. I didn't know and what I was getting myself into, and I didn't know I was growing this business to become something what it became. So you have to be really present and knowing who you are as a person that you have to, and I hate the word balance, but you have to find out what makes you happiest during your day. To find time for me was always to go for a run, and I needed to get outside and feel the energy outdoors and because it can really, you know, I was working 12, 16 hour days when I started my first company. And I was also, you know, I started my company, I started growing it. Then I got married and I all of a sudden had a stepson and it was married life with a child and lots of kids in the house. And how do I manage to grow a business and 
keep everything in line and keep everything happy and positive and growing. So I think it's really important people understand like you have to you have to understand yourself before you really start a company or grow a company for that matter because without understanding who you are and your limitations um, it can really um, weigh heavily on yourself and your family and your, you know, anyone that's close to you because people can see it before sometimes you can see it like, wow, you're really run down. <laughs> you need, you need to, t- you need to relax a little bit and unwind. It's not just the sense of like, oh, I'm so busy. It's more of, oh my God, how am I going to pay my rent? Or, oh my God, we're growing so fast. How am I going to meet what we need to do? So it's a lot of, ebb and flow of life and you have to really be okay with the changes that will take place. And also, you know, what, what are your long-term goals? Do you want to be running a business in 15 years? Because so many people I think are just thinking, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to cash out in five years. Mm-hmm. And that's not, <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the way to run a business. You really need to be in it for the long haul because once you start a company, then you're responsible for employees possibly um, you know, you're responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods and the roof that you put over their heads. And that can kind of weigh on you when you have 50 employees or 100 employees. And if you're not the one to get funded, you know, it's, it's all on you. So you have to be really careful in what you, your expectations are of your business and your time and what kind of business you want to run. Um, It's interesting that you you talk about that because in my business, I mean, it's been 10 years I've been in business, but it's been like really slow growth, like really, Mm -hmm. really slow, which was, I don't know if I really intended for it, but it was the first five years were about having like teeny tiny kids in my arms Mm -hmm. um, and being on the phone with a client at the same time. Yeah. um, Just sort of, I guess, working enough to work, um, but not really having a lot of clarity, but it, it, I mean, I had great clients the first five years. I mostly did work with Clinique and Calvin Klein. Like you couldn't ask for better partners than that. Um, but then, um, this idea of being responsible for people and when Mm -hmm. the workload goes, gets low, having to lay Mm -hmm. people off, is like the worst. Yeah, it is the worst. Um, and after that, a few times, I decided for low overhead. <laughs> like, how yes. can I run this business with the least amount of overhead um, and still do a great job? And, I mean, I had to learn that the hard way. Uh, I think most, most of us need to learn these things the hard way. Um, Absolutely. But um, now I'd like to hear about um, what you have planned. And I'm calling it the Jennifer Walsh, but that means something. It does. So uh, I think I even told you in our little breakfast, I said, you know, after you know, for the past year, I haven't, I, you know, sold out beauty bar and no longer I'm a part of pride and glory. So all of a sudden I'm like, well, what do I, what do I do next? And for like 2016, I kind of took a pause. I took a step back to kind of reassess everything. Cause here I am grown up, I'm in my forties and what do I want to do next? That's of quality to me. That makes me happy. And you know, I'm not 25 years old saying, okay, what am I going to do for the next 30 years or something? Now I'm in like, you know, in this point in my life, like, what do I want to do that adds quality to my life and to the people around mm-hmm. me? And that's, that's positive and that's uplifting and that can help other people. And so, oh my gosh, you know, I know I've been doing this for a long time. So the Jennifer Walsh actually stands for uh, T-H-E is the healthy entrepreneur. 
So I really want to build a platform that helps people understand how important it is that their health and well-being has to be at the forefront of anything they do in business. So whether you're starting your own business or if you're within a company, how you treat others and how you treat yourself is really the most important part of your work. Because without a strong leader, you really don't have a strong company. And without a strong person, in terms of like what you're feeding yourself, how you're going to treat yourself, you cannot be good for anybody. Whether it be at work or your family, you really have to make sure you're making quality time for you. So that's what the website is going to be all about. It's in, in terms of what you're eating, what are you doing on your free time, how do you... How do you like spend time in your home, in your office? Are they places where you can find some serenity and zen? So I'll be spotlighting some businesses that try and make some really good positive places in the workspace. Um, some you know beauty products that really make your life easier and they're beautiful products. So also like my walk with Walsh, which I started doing in Central Park last year, the be place for my interviews for my walk with Walsh series will be living there as well. So just lots of inspirational stories and videos and really some fun content. So it's going to be exciting. I'm excited to be building it out and hopefully launching in the next few weeks. And of course, it'll be a um, work in progress, but as is everything in life. So that's kind of what I've been working on right now, which is really exciting. I love it. I love that it's an article before your name, the, and I love that it means (laughs) the healthy entrepreneur. And I love the topic because, I mean, it's kind of one of the reasons why we started the Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast is because we, we wanted to hear about what, what, what's happening in the minds and the soul of the people who are, you know, active in our business. And it's not about like sales figures and hooray, we made our numbers. It's like, what's inside, right? Like does, Um, when do you find time to exercise? You know, how do you spend time with your family? What does balance look like for you? Um, How do you achieve serenity or maintain it? Um, These are the things that I'm really curious about because they're the challenges that I have, right? Like holding on Mm -hmm. to serenity, um, (laughs) finding it it and keeping it and losing it and getting it back. Like this is sort of um, one of the big motivators for me and how I deal with um, my, my day, you know, with my family and my work. Um, Course. These are the things that are important to me now. Maybe in my 20s, it was really not about that at all. But um, I love yeah. this, and I can't wait to see it blossom. Um, Thank you. I really I'm appreciate sure that. So, so many people will appreciate it. Because these, these, these stories, um, these learnings, I don't think that they're shared enough. You know, I think this, mm-hmm. there's like a fake that I call it, like, quote, or quote, fake balance. Um, yes. People talk about this. <laughs> it's like, like this fake balance that people talk about in a fake way, but really um, they feel chained to their desk. Um, And that's not what I want. I want real balance, like a busy day, Mm -hmm. a not so busy day, um, a fun day. Maybe there's a hard day. Like it's not every day is going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but um, Instagrammable about the stuff. (laughs) Right. Right. Like talk about that honestly. It's so true, and I'm so glad you're doing this podcast because I, as soon as I saw you were doing this, I was like, oh, I need to sign up and subscribe because it's exactly what I'm – I only listen to podcasts now, and I only watch videos like on YouTube that are inspiring stories that really help me feel uplifted in business and in life because that's what I want in my – I don't watch the news anymore. I don't – I just don't. I just can't. I'll read the paper, but mm. like I want people that are being real because that's a problem. Like So many people are like, oh, I have to have an Instagrammable day. It has to be beautiful, and I think – oh my gosh, 
I'm so in like working with my clients because I'm a consultant as well. So I'm like on my computer most of the day and it's not always beautiful. <laughs> I'm not taking gorgeous pictures because I'm actually working really hard just doing these documents and spreadsheets. So it's not really pretty, but people know where my inspiration comes from because they'll see my pictures in Central Park. So that's my, that's my Zen time. That's my serenity. So when I take my pictures in Central Park and I go for my walk or my run, that's where I find my, my greatest peace. So I think it's important for people to find that, whatever that is, whether it be like a walk outside or something, it's, it's important to have that, those moments of just saying, oh, okay, I've got five minutes to breathe for myself. Now I feel a little bit better. Well, I think we could talk for hours, but the last thing I want to ask you about is on your um, walk with Jennifer Walsh, um, the photography is really beautiful. And in this kind of painting a picture theme that we just spoke about, are you taking those photos or are you accompanied by a photographer? So the walk with Walsh, I have someone helping me just videotape this is Facebook live. So she's just holding my iPhone, to be honest. Um, and that's it. And my photography, like my actual pictures around Central Park, those are my photos that you can see up on my Instagram page. Um, so those are actually my own photos. But when mm-hmm. I do my walk with Walsh, it's all on an iPhone. And that's, and that's it. So we'll see if we get some more cameras. We've got some ideas of what we're going to build it out to a few more ideas for this. We're going to start filming again in April when it gets warmer. So mm-hmm. we'll see some newness for that. But I'm excited about it. Yeah, we're excited too. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, You're such an inspiration. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and keep up all the great work you're doing. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.